Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the Word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. I'm probably one of those people when you drive down the interstate and there's an accident, my, my head goes over, I you know, want to see, I'm one of those gawkers, and I slow traffic down because I'm fascinated by things like this. One of the things I'm fascinated by is when a storm moves through, whether it's a hurricane or a river flood or whatever, when houses that are built on the edge of a cliff lose the ground underneath. Here's a couple of pictures of the kind of things. When those come on the news, I'm fascinated by those. I'm thinking, why did they build their house there? I mean, the one has lost at least a, qu- a quarter of the house. The other one's all the way down the, the, the side of the slope. And I, I wonder, or could they have built it better so that it wouldn't have fallen down the side of the cliff? Uh, California, when they have the, the fires and then the rain in California, and you see the, the, the houses that just go down the cliffs, it's, it's amazing to me. But that does happen. And Jesus actually used an illustration of houses that are built without proper foundation to reflect our lives. Our lives and our nation, our world, has been hit by a storm. The COVID-19 storm, it was a storm and it was a flood and it is beat against every single one of our lives, every single one of our houses And I'll tell you this, I think the flood is still flooding. It's still flowing. As time goes by, how this is all going to play out in the economy, uh, in the healthcare systems, in the political arena, that's not known yet. So my question today is, how is your house doing? Not your physical house, I think you understand that Jesus used the illustration that our lives are houses that we build. Jesus doesn't build your house, you build your house. Now, he'll help you, he'll give you wisdom. But how is your house doing? Is it standing strong? Is it showing cracking in the walls, in the foundation? There's been some shifts. Has your house collapsed? And then here's the other question Were you ready? Were you ready? Had you prepared for this storm? Now, you can say, well, we didn't know this one was coming. No, but life will send you storms. And the preparation, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's a decline in the stock market, were you ready? Was your house ready? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Famous coach, John Wooden. Not only was he a great coach, He was a phenomenal leader, not that I knew him personally, but I've read materials and others have quoted him. I've heard interviews with him. One of my favorite quotes is this one. He says, the time to prepare isn't after you've been given the opportunity. It's long before the opportunity arises. Once the opportunity arrives, it's too late to prepare. Now, John was talking specifically in the sports world, but it can apply to other things. And you think about this. It's... um, it's, it's a championship game. There are three seconds left on the clock. You're down by two. His team is down by two. Who is he going to give the ball to? Who, when they take the timeout 
and they huddle up with the coach, who is he going to say get the ball to? Is it going to be the guy who's been sitting on the bench all season? Or is it going to be the guy who's prepared and prepared and prepared and prepared? And his three-point, uh, his average on making three-pointers is like 75%. Who's going to get the ball? The one who's been prepared. Once the opportunity arrives, it's too late to prepare. Well, ever since I've heard that quote, I've added a flip side to it. This is my own. This isn't John Wooden or anybody else. This is my own. When the storm comes, when opposition comes, when difficulty comes, it's also too late to prepare. The time to prepare for that opportunity is long before the opportunity presents itself. The time to prepare for the difficulty is long before the difficulty presents itself. Here's the way that I state it. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. When opposition comes, it's too late to prepare. Most of us in our lives are far too reactionary and not uh, proactive. All of a sudden, the difficulty comes and we try to shore things up. We need to be prepared in advance because when the opposition comes, when the next flood comes, it's going to be too late to prepare if we haven't prepared now. Jesus told the story in which he used the illustration of our lives as a house which each of us built. What happens to our lives when storms and floods hit is totally dependent, hear this, it's totally dependent upon what you build your life upon, what is your foundation. So let's read the text from Luke's Gospel. It's going to be in the sixth chapter. In fact, it's the exact passage that uh, Pastor Evan read already, but I'm going to read it once again, these verses. Chapter 6, starting in verse 46. I'm reading from the New Living. I, I, I don't know, was it NIV today for you? Yeah, he was reading from the NIV. I'm reading from the New Living. Jesus speaking now to his followers, then and now. Listen, when you read these verses, I want you to see or hear the words of Jesus for you, for me. What did Jesus say? He said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? When you don't do what I say, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. It takes a lot longer, it takes a lot more work, it takes a lot more money to dig deep and to build a deep foundation if you're building a building or if you're building a house. You could build it much more quickly if you don't have to build by setting a deep foundation. Here, he said, they were actually digging till they found rock. I don't know how deep that was. I'm sure it was several feet. It takes more work, but it's worth it. Look at the results. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it was well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation, when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. What your life is and how it's going to weather the storms is all going to be based on what you have done and how you have built. Here's one of my key statements for this message. It's this. 
Your real life is revealed after a storm. Your real life is revealed after a storm. When you get hit by a storm, whether that storm is personal difficulty or it's a worldwide pandemic like COVID-19, your life is revealed after the storm. You may think your life is doing fine, and possibly it has been, and I hope that that's your, the case for you, but some of us have found that our life wasn't what we like. Here's the second part of that. If parts of your life collapse during the pandemic, it revealed areas of your life which were not built upon following the teaching of Jesus. If parts of your life collapsed during this pandemic, or if it was a personal trial, if parts of your life collapsed during a personal trial, it's because that part of your life was not built upon following the teachings of Jesus. Now, here's the good news today, and I want to emphasize it now, and I'm going to emphasize it at the end. Let's say that your life didn't do so well. This is not the end. You can rebuild. Evaluate what happened. Evaluate the damage. Evaluate what's left and rebuild. But here's the question. Will you? Will you? If your life, if your spiritual life, your financial life, or your relational life, which are the three areas we're going to talk about today in just a moment, if they suffered, will you rebuild? Because let's just face it, this storm will pass. And when the storm passes, most of us fall back into our old way of doing things. And we don't change. We need to make some changes. Because your real life is revealed after a storm. So as I said, there's three specific areas of our lives that I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about your financial house, your relational house, and your spiritual house. Your financial house, your relational house, and your spiritual house. There are many others. I'm going to focus on these three, and we're going to talk about them, and then I'm going to talk very specifically about some indicators that, eat, that dropped into my mind as I thought through this to use as an evaluation as to how well your financial house is truly doing, how well your relational house is truly doing, how well your spiritual house is truly doing. You don't have to agree with me. But I think if you will, and if you'll apply these indicators, it will help you. So let's start with the financial house. The financial house. I would like you, before we go any farther, just in your mind or on a piece of scrap paper, how would you rate your financial house right now? Is it strong? Is it showing cracks? Has it collapsed? How would you rate your financial house right now. Think about that. And then I'm going to give you the two indicators that we're going to talk about that I feel can be very, very important for evaluating your financial house. Are you ready? Here they come. Here's the indicators. Debt and tithes and offerings. Debt and tithes and offerings. This is, this is what I think we should use. There are other indicators, but these are two key indicators for the strength of your financial house. Let me illustrate. If during this crisis you have had to put the necessities of life, I'm talking about the necessities, gas in your car, food. If you have had to put the necessities of life on a credit card, or you have had to borrow from family for the necessities of life, if you cannot pay your bills, your car payment, your utilities, your rent or mortgage, if you cannot pay your bills, 
If you don't tithe, returning to the Lord, the first 10%, and give, or because of this, you have stopped tithing and giving, this is my opinion, I believe backed up by scripture and backed up by life experience, your financial foundation is not strong, it has collapsed. And the storm did not destroy your financial house. The storm revealed your financial house. Two weeks before the shutdowns began, Sherry and I and um, I think Jack and, and Evan were there. We had a district meeting, and we had a brief presentation from a man who works for Thriving Financial Services, and he was just encouraging us as ministers to be preparing for the future, especially for our retirement. But here's a statement that he made, and I, I may have the percentages slightly off, but it so surprised me. I think they're pretty accurate. He said 85 to 90% of Americans cannot handle a $400 emergency without going into debt. 85 to 90% of Americans cannot handle a $400 emergency without going into debt. That is not a financial foundation based on the teachings of Jesus. That you have a $500 financial emergency and you can't handle it with your reserves because Jesus very much wants us to be prepared for those things. But you might say, you know, what you just talked about, Pastor Rick, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not um, putting uh, the necessities of life on a credit card and all of my bills are paid. I'm doing really well there. Fantastic. You're not like that other group, but let me ask you these questions. Do you have consumer debt? Are you paying monthly on credit cards? Are you making payments for an automobile or are you uh, leasing one? Are you making payments for things like furniture and appliances, a home remodel, carpeting, whatever that may be? I'm going to say your financial house has not collapsed, but it has cracks in it. It has cracks in it. And you need to repair those cracks. Pay off all those bills. Get to the point where you purchase only with cash and certainly develop a savings plan. And then what about the Lord? What about his portion, the, the tithe, the 10% of your income? And uh, your giving of offerings of both uh, time, talent, and your resources, money. Are you doing that? If you are not returning the 10% to the Lord, if you are not giving of yourself and giving of your resources in offerings above and beyond the tithe, in this case, your financial house also has cracks in it. And you need to repair those cracks by getting into God's flow of giving and receiving, planting seeds, financial seeds of faith, because this places you under the blessings of God. It places you in that place where God says in the book of Malachi that he will open the windows of heaven and pour such a blessing upon you that you will not be able to contain it. How do you do that? You begin to return the 10%, and you give offerings on top of that. It also takes your finances and your life out from under the curse because the enemy has access to your life and to your finances when you don't have uh, that flow going, when God's blessing aren't upon your finances. So you have cracks. Now, if you have no consumer debt, if you return the tithe, 
if you give of your resources and of yourself, if you have savings available to weather downturns in the economy and a temporary loss of income, then your financial house is on a strong foundation, the way that Jesus would have you build it. Keep up the good work. Now, how do you rate your financial house today? Sherry and I, when we were first married, both of us were working full-time. We didn't have any children. And we were making, which would be at that time, relatively good salaries. And boy, we were enjoying it too. We went out to eat a lot, bought a new vehicle, uh, was, were paying on the vehicle, got some credit cards, didn't have hardly anything on the credit cards till the first financial storm hit. And I lost my job. All of a sudden, my income is no longer. Sherry's still working, so we have some income. Unemployment, eh. Sometimes, you know, and it, it took a while, so I'm looking for another job. But you know what happened? We had to start, after a period of time, putting the necessities of life on our credit cards. We kept our rent payment up. We kept our car payment up, other things, utilities. But all of a sudden, now we're putting the necessities of life on a credit card. And I'm looking for a job, and finally, finally, I get another job. Well, you know what I have to do? Sure, they sent some moving expenses along because we, we had to relocate. They sent moving expenses, but the moving expenses didn't cover everything because we had to put deposits down and things like that in the other location. So guess where that went? I reached quickly into my wallet, and I pulled out my Visa card. And so we paid for parts of the move with my Visa card because we used the moving expenses to put some deposits down. Now I'm in a new job. And now I have an income. And Sherry, it took her a, a few weeks before she started working because we relocated. Here we are, now trying to get out from the last storm because we didn't have any reserves. And so income started coming in, but did we start putting money aside for another emergency? A little bit, not much, because we still kind of like to spend. I certainly like nice things. And... My other place of employment shut down. And once again, this cycle started to repeat. It took us years to finally get under God's method of handling finances, the biblical principles of stewardship. It took us years to bail out. It took us sacrificing, driving cars that were older and had high mileage on them. It took us, it took me, I say us, but it took me not walking into Best Buy or into uh, another store and looking at the newest TV, the newest uh, gaming system, the newest sound system. It took me doing that. But we finally were able to bail out. But during that period of time, honestly, our financial house had collapsed because it wasn't built on how Jesus wanted us to build it. Yes, we were tithing. Yes, we were returning that and giving offerings. But still, in other areas, we did not have it in place, and we suffered. Financial house, how would you rate yours? Let's move on. Relational house. How would you rate your relational house? And I want you to just keep it to the relationships with the people that are most important to you, the, your spouse, your kids, your parents, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a sibling, a fiancé. Who is closest to you? 
How are those relationships? How did the pressure of this storm impact those relationships? Would you say your relational house is strong, cracked, or collapsed? And there's only one indicator that I wanted to, to apply here to your relational house. Only one indicator, words. What words are coming out of your mouth toward those who are closest to you? What words are coming out of your mouth towards those who are closest to you? Are they harsh? Are they angry? Are they demeaning? Are they abusive? Or are they kind, compassionate, patient, uplifting, and encouraging? The pressure of this storm did not destroy your relationships, your relational house. It's just revealing what was in you. When you get pushed, what's in you comes out. What are the words coming out of your mouth? What are the words toward your spouse, toward your kids, kids toward your parents? What are your words? If your words are abusive, if they cause fear to those closest to you, if those closest to you would prefer that you were not around, it's much better when you're not in the house. Work overtime. Go work on your hobby. If those closest to you would prefer that you were not around, I would suggest that your relational house has collapsed. It is not on a good foundation. Now, if there's tension amongst those who you're closest to, and there might be some arguments breaking out, but after a few days or after a short period of time, you make things right. The stress brings out hurtful words, but there's also times of kindness and encouragement. I would suggest that there are cracks in your relational house, but it hasn't collapsed. If the words flowing in your home and with those whom you are closest to are positive and uplifting, kind and loving, and when wrong words and angry words or hurtful words do come out, because they will, they are quickly confessed and repented of and they are quickly forgiven, I would suggest that you have a strong relational foundation. Keep up the good work. There was a season in my parenting when Sherry felt necessary to take me aside. And what she said is, Rick, how you're handling our son David. David's our youngest. He's the only boy. He's like me in so many ways. He says, I really feel that you are exasperating David. Now, the word exasperating is not a word most of us use, but in Colossians... It's actually used about the fathers, and it's in the New American Standard Bible, which was the Bible Sherry and I had read for a long time and were reading. Listen to what it says. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will lose heart. And then Ephesians also picks up on this in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. What Sherry was saying is, Rick, you're driving a wedge in your relationship with David. Rick, you are exasperating him. And interesting that Colossians says, don't exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Do you know that fathers, mothers too, but fathers, as you are hard on your kids, oftentimes for the right reasons, you love them, you see their potential, you see that, that stupid thing that they did could potentially hurt them, you see those things, but you are hard on them, they can lose heart. Because your children want to please you, Dad. Your children want to please you. 
But if they never feel like they can please you, they will get exasperated and they will lose heart. And it can also provoke them to anger. So Sherry had pulled me aside. She shared with me what was on her heart, what she had observed. She observed me driving a wedge in my relationship with David. No, our relationship had not collapsed, but it had cracks in it. And I had to do something. I had to evaluate that relationship, and I had to make changes so that that relationship was on a strong biblical foundation. Did I still lose my temper? Did he still need to be disciplined or corrected? Yes. But I'm so glad that she had the sensitivity and the courage to bring that up so that before things got too bad, before David would lose heart, I was able to correct and fix this. Your relational house, how do you think it's doing? Let's talk about our spiritual house. How would you rate your spiritual house? Strong, cracking, collapsed. And as I was working on this message and working on these thoughts, and I've been working on them for quite a while, uh, I thought that this one I would use as indicators, you know, how are you doing with your Bible reading? How are you doing with your uh, prayer time? How are you doing with being in church or watching church online? And Thursday, late Thursday night, as I was just still working through this message, I had two words come to my mind. I'm not going to say God said, but I think my mind finally got the sense of what needed to be this indicator. Here are the two words that I want you to use to judge your spiritual life. They're sin and fear. Use these two indicators to rate your spiritual life. If there is an area of sin that has risen up and is tearing you down, drunkenness, drugs, legal or otherwise, bitterness, resentment, sexual immorality, pornography, rage, selfishness or greed, if there's an area of sin that has risen up, maybe it was okay for a while. Remember, when pressure comes on, our foundation is shown for what it is, and sometimes areas of sin that we thought we had in pretty good shape all of a sudden start to manifest again. Pressure comes, people go back to drinking, and they haven't been drinking for a while. When pressure comes, people go off into pornography or all of a sudden, resentment and bitterness just lodges and is in their hearts. Where are you at with an area of sin like that? Has something risen up? Or, if your life is controlled by, and I use those words, controlled by, fear, worry, and anxiety, you do not have peace. Your sleep has been stolen from you, and you even wonder if you have any faith. I would suggest to you that your spiritual life has collapsed. And remember, the storm did not collapse your spiritual house. It only revealed the foundation upon which it was built. Now, if there are temptations that you are falling to, but then you get back up, you repent, you move on. If fear and worry tries to come in, they rise up, but you're able to uh, fight them down. Your faith and your stability returns. And I'm going to suggest this. Your spiritual life has cracks in it, and it needs to be repaired, but it hasn't collapsed. But if during this storm or another storm or flood in your life, temptations has come, have come, fear has tried to come in, worrisome things have entered your life, but you are able to stand against the temptation, stand against the fear, stand against the worry, I would say your spiritual life is strong. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good work.
Maybe you don't like those indicators. Maybe you say, I thought I was doing much better, but man, this sin thing has got me really wondering where my spiritual life is at. Listen, the good news is you can rebuild. Well, this fear thing, I, I thought I was pretty good, but you bring this fear thing up, this worry thing, that's, that's, I'm living in that. It's just an indicator that your foundation, your spiritual house, is not where Jesus would have you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We are no longer slaves to fear, song we've been singing. We are children of God. We are no longer ruled and controlled by sin. So if these things are in your life, I'm not trying to beat you down. Jesus is not trying to beat you down. Just trying to make you aware of what may be the true condition of your spiritual house. So maybe you've rated your financial or your relational or your spiritual and you found that there are cracks or some of those areas have collapsed. The question is, what should you do? What should I do? Well, let's go back to the passage and see what Jesus said was the reason one house survived and one house collapsed. What did Jesus say the reason that a spiritual life or a financial life or a relational life or anything else that you want to put into this illustration, what does Jesus say makes the difference? Starting in verse 47, it's coming up on the screen in case your device or your Bible is closed. He says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So here's the difference coming up on the screen. Someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. That's how you build your house on rock. You listen to the teachings of Jesus, and you follow it. Listen to the one who built without a foundation, or when Jesus uh, taught this at another time and Matthew captured it, it was on a foundation of sand. Anyone who hears and doesn't obey. Do you know there's a lot of people who walk around, believers who walk around, oh, they've heard, but they haven't yet chosen to obey. Well, then you're not building on a good foundation. The foundation is in the hearing and the obeying. Are you obeying? So let's go back. What should I do to build my financial house on rock? So I'm going to give you some suggestions. What should you do to build your financial house on rock? Learn and obey what the Bible says regarding finance. Learn and obey what the Bible says regarding finance. Learn God's plan for biblical financial stewardship. One way to learn is Financial Peace University. We're going to be offering that again here in the fall. The Dave Ramsey organization. Dave's plan is based on biblical principles. It's what Jesus taught us how to, how to lay our financial lives. You may want to go through the blessed life. We've taught the blessed life here. It's on our website. Uh, you can listen to Ro it's Robert Morris's material. His book's available. Or you could um, uh, go to YouTube. His teaching is on, on YouTube. But these are just two ways that you can learn God's plan, but then you have to obey it. See, Sherry and I knew God's plan. That time when our financial house got really shaky and actually collapsed, 
we knew God's plan. We've been told that, you know, you shouldn't be spending so much money. And, and, you know, my parents would say, you know, are you sure you want to get into debt for that? Or do you want to have the credit card or whatever? But, oh, we're, we're new and we're modern and we've got these jobs and we got good incomes and we bought this and we bought that. And we knew, but we didn't obey. Knowing is only half the battle. In fact, I think knowing is probably like 20% of the battle. The obedience is where it makes all the difference in the world. That's where you dig down. But learn and obey what the Bible says regarding finances. Number one, or number, next part, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Consumer debt. Mortgage. Most financial individuals, including uh, Robert Morris, Dave Ramsey, your mortgage, you're okay. Consumer debt. Automobiles, appliances, credit cards. Consumer debt. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And then tithe and give. Open the doors of God's blessings and get your finances out from under a curse. And you might say, during a financial downturn, during the shaky time, you're going to talk about tithing and giving? Absolutely. You need God's blessing in a downturn as much as you need it when the economy is going well. Live on less than you make. That means you're probably going to need a budget. Ooh. Live on less than you make. And then save. And the savings aspect is built into the budget, which means you're going to live on less than you make less than. You make less than because you're going to put some in savings. Now I'm going to throw some out. I may step on a toe or two. So, don't say ouch out loud if I step on a toe. Stop going on vacations that you can't pay for, except on a credit card. If you can't pay for your vacation in cash, don't go. But I promised the grandkids. No. Not if you're going to get on a strong foundation. Stop buying cars or appliances or electronics, or cell phones you can't pay for with cash. If you've got the cash, go for it. Now I'm going to throw something else out here. Even if you have the cash to pay for it, if you don't have your emergency fund set up, then you don't buy it either. Yeah, but my car is getting old. Then buy a cheap one. Keep getting that emergency fund built up, built up, built up until you have that in place, then go buy that car after you've saved the money. Well, I'll never have a new car. Maybe not. Back when Sherry and I were first married, were the last brand new vehicles we ever bought. We have driven used cars ever since. There are times <laughs> that I purchased the car you're getting rid of. Or the minivan. We bought a minivan once. We bought it at about 89,000 miles. And you say, that's ready for the junk heap. No, it's ready for the Glowacki household. <laughs> and we drove it to about 202,000 miles. If I had bought that brand new, I would have paid buku tens of thousands of dollars. I think I paid like 4,200 for it. Maybe even less. Even then, we, that was still during the, the intermediate area, uh, the middle point of getting out of this stuff. 
So we, we put a bunch of cash down, and then we took out a, an 18-month loan for about $1,800, so about $100 a month. That was the last vehicle that we actually uh, paid for on time. Everything else, we've now gone and paid cash. I said it took us years. It's taken us decades to get back to where it's supposed to be. So learn and obey what the Bible says regarding finances. Get out of debt. Tithe and give. Live on less than you make. Save. Let's do the relational one now. What can you do to build your relational house on rock? Same point again. Learn and obey God's plan for relationships. Read what the Bible says about marriage, family, and friendships. Locate materials on relationships. There's great materials out there. I've preached some messages on it. I'd be glad to direct you to some books, books on marriage, books on parenting, books on family, books on relationships and friendships. Um, you may want to talk to somebody regarding your relational weakness. If you're struggling in one aspect of your relationship, and you see someone that maybe as a dad or a mom has really great relationship with their kids, or they have a great relationship with their spouse or with their parents, you may want to sit down and say, listen, this is an area of, of relationships that's weak for me. Uh, what's, your, what's your secret? What's your key? Might be a good thing for you to do. Talk to someone. But then you have to follow what the Bible says and what you have found out regarding relationships because it's not enough to know that's only about 20% of it. It's the doing. Okay, what about your spiritual house? Your spiritual house. Learn and obey God's plan for a strong relationship with him and his body, the local church. Once again, locate materials about maintaining a strong spiritual life. There are books, sermons, Bible studies, other materials. Here's some important things. Establish or reestablish spiritual habits. Daily Bible reading, daily prayer, praise, worship services, relationships with other believers, be in relationship with others, don't be isolated, service to others. These are the things that give you the foundation. The indicators that I said were sin, were sin and fear. If you've got those um, spiritual habits in place and you are really working on them daily, weekly, you're not just blowing off those spiritual disciplines and you're still having difficulties in those other areas, call me, let's talk. Let's see what the Holy Spirit would say because rarely have I met a person who has their foundational spiritual habits in place. They're vital in their life. The Bible is a vital book. Prayer is alive. They know how to praise and they praise God. They're in worship services and, and Bible studies. Uh, they have relationships with other believers and they serve in the local church. They rarely are deep into sin and rarely does fear consume their life. If it does happen, then there can be other reasons for that. We need to talk about that. And remember, you need to choose and follow what Jesus says. As I'm winding this down, remember there's going to be another storm there's going to be another storm. I don't know that it'll be COVID-20 or COVID-21 or whatever, but there's going to be another storm. Storms have come and storms have gone. For most of us, though, it's probably not going to be national or international. It's going to be personal. Something personally is going to crash up against your house. It's going to crash up against your financial house. It's going to crash up against your relational house. It's going to crash up against your spiritual house. If those things are strong now, Keep them stronger. They're going to begin to develop cracks and eventually collapse. If you're cracked right now and you don't repair your cracks, the next storm will probably take you down. And 
If you're already collapsed in one of these areas or another area of your life and you do nothing to rebuild properly, the impact of the next storm will probably be something, this is my opinion, will probably be something you will not recover from. The good news is we have the time now to rebuild. Here's what I want to strongly challenge. Do not go back to business as usual. Do not go back to business as usual in your finances, in your relationships, in your spiritual life, in your spiritual walk, or in any other area of your life. Do not go back to business as usual because when we get to the back side of this later in the summer or next year, whenever it comes, that is going to be our tendency. We're going to go back to doing things the way we did instead of preparing for the next storm. We need to dig deep. We need to be on a foundation of rock, and we need to build strong. And then when that next storm hits, um, I'm, time is running, but I want to share one, one thing because <clears throat> Sherry and I were blessed during this financial downturn and that both of us remain employed, both of us uh, continue to receive an income. But even if there would have been a reduction, let's say my salary had to be reduced here at the church. By the way, you guys have been phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our income has been solid during this downturn. Even if that would have happened, Sherry and I have now built up the reserves. And I... I'm, didn't ask her permission to do this, so now I'm going to embarrass her, and I'll hear about it at home. I've watched Sherry when we've gone through these other difficulties, and I could see the anxiety, and I could see the insecurity, and I could see the financial pressure. It seemed to weigh much more on her than it did on me. Experts say women, that's more important to them than it is to the men. I don't know if that's the case. I did not sense at all this deep insecurity because not only had we been building on a rock, we had put the reserves away. So if either of us had lost income for a period of time, we had a place to fall back on. It makes a huge difference in how we live life. So I'm going to give you just a real quick next step. Which of these three areas is in the worst shape in your opinion? Financial? Relational? Spiritual. I want you to think. I want you to pray. I want you to do one thing tomorrow. One thing. Maybe to talk to someone. Maybe to look for a book. I don't know what it's going to be. I want you to do one thing. And I'm going to want you to do one thing here today. As the team makes their way back to the platform, I want you to do one thing today here. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. And the prayer is very simple. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? God is a speaking God. Most of the time, we don't hear God because we're not listening individuals. He is a speaking God. We're going to pray that prayer, and maybe in church here, but sometime in the next few hours or by tomorrow, I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to drop one thing in your mind so that you can begin to address your weak area. Would you bow your heads and bow your hearts? And I want you to actually say this out loud. Holy Spirit, what are you 
showing me today. Lord, you've heard our prayer. Begin to speak to us. Lord, you're not trying to tear us down. You're not trying to make us feel bad if we've seen areas where our life has collapsed or where there are cracks. Lord, what you're trying to do is to show us our foundation because you want us to build properly. Lord, you have given us not only the tools, but you have given us the ability to pick up the pieces and to build again properly so that when the next flood comes, when the next storm hits, when the next difficulty comes, we will be ready. Lord, I thank you that there is no pit too deep that you cannot lift us out of. There is no sin too big that you cannot forgive. And there is no life too messed up that you cannot straighten out if we will set it as our top priority to do the right things. Lord, help us to see where we need to pick up the pieces, where we need to repair the cracks, where we need to build again on a foundation of rock. Because, Lord, we know that that's the life that's going to stand when the next storm and the next flood hits. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.